0: Welcome to the Couples Healing Podcast, where you'll get the tools for him to overcome his addiction, for her to find healing from the pain that it causes her, and for you to heal your relationship and come back together. I hope that you enjoy and subscribe. On today's episode, I want to talk to you about codependency and how I think there are these two different camps. And one of the ways of looking at this I've found to be such a stumbling block for people to actually create meaningful connections and have the kind of safety and trust and confidence in the relationship that they're searching for, the security that we want, and how so often our self-esteem is impacted by all of this as well. And so I wanna first kind of start off by talking about this word codependency. I think this is, it's morphed over time into this thing that feels very vague. And I think uh, so often when people hear this word codependency, the, the the understanding from the people that I speak with, you know, if I start working with new clients, they talk to me about, you know, I don't want to be codependent. And so if I ever ask them what that means, or if they ever describe what that means, it's just this concern that if they need their partner, or if they're emotionally impacted by their partner, then it's a problem that they shouldn't, they should be independent. They shouldn't have to be affected like they are by their spouse. And if they are, then that means they're codependent, and that's bad, that's wrong, and they want to separate themselves from their spouse. So that's this like morphed definition of what this is. Where this word actually came from was it was first developed in the field of substance abuse treatment in the 1970s and 80s. And initially, it was used to describe the ways in which family members of individuals with addiction problems could like enmesh or get entangled with the person struggling with the behavior, struggling with the addiction, and this idea was that, you know, like, um, this is, again, 70s and 80s, they called, uh, alco- you know, you go to the 12-step group, AA, so Alcoholics Anonymous, the, the, the person would stand up and say, I'm, I'm an alco- alcoholic, which I have a, you know, I, I highly disagree with this idea of defining yourself as an addict, I just think it's, I've done other episodes in the past about that, so I won't go into that too deeply, but the idea is the person struggling identifies as the addict or the alcoholic, and the person that they're in a relationship in with is the co-alcoholic or in the drug addiction, or yeah, the substance abuse field, it's uh, you know the person who's dependent on the addiction, then the person they're in a relationship with, or let's say if it's a husband, his wife would be a co-dependent. So it was initially used to describe the partner of somebody who's dependent or addicted to drugs. And again, this has just kind of morphed over time, which now has this very broad way of, you know, it's a broad brushstroke way of saying that if you're affected by your partner emotionally to a degree that, you know, is quote unquote unhealthy or is out of proportion, then all of a sudden now you're codependent. And so, I, this just never really resonated with me. That's one side, right? That's one camp. It's, you shouldn't, you should be independent. You shouldn't be enmeshed. You should uh, be able to meet your own needs. Like that's the one camp. That camp doesn't really resonate with me, especially after I share with you just this second camp is that there isn't codependence. In other words, being emotionally dependent or interdependent with your partner is not unhealthy in fact it's the opposite it's one of the most healthy things that we can have in our lives as human beings so this other camp is the ones who believe in connection and attachment and being able to turn to each other in moments of despair or fear which is a resource to help you become stronger so there's a bunch of research i'll share with you a couple of different studies that support this idea and There's a lot of research that supports how much stronger we are as human beings when we have other people in our corner who have our back, who we know are there for us emotionally. So one of the researchers, this was a long time ago. He's done dozens of research studies, uh, written multiple books. His name's John Bowlby. And he has a theory called, he has a theory called attachment theory, which argues that the quality of our attachment relationships influences our emotional and social development including our self-esteem so in other words the stronger we are the stronger our relationships are the closer and more connected we are in a healthy way the more uh, the, the more con the stronger we then actually feel as individuals, our confidence increases, depression decreases, anxiety decreases, our self-esteem increases. And I think we very easily see this in children. I've got a couple of young kids. I've got a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. And whenever my little guy, my little three-year-old gets scared, he instantly and instinctively turns to me or my wife for comfort. And John Bowlby says that, after doing all the research that he's done, he said that attachment, our longings to connect and our need for other people is inborn and it goes from the cradle to the grave, as he says. In other words, we never outgrow our need to connect with other people and have a few significant other people in our life who we trust, where there's safety, we know we can turn to them and we know that they're gonna be there for us. There's other numerous studies on, that talk about the, child. it's called childhood adversity. So there's numerous studies that have shown that exposure to childhood adversity, including neglect and abuse, can lead to low self-esteem and a negative self-image. And that is especially true when there's not a caregiver who's able to connect with them and soothe their pain, help make sense of what's going on, be there to support, provide emotional uh, care, reassurance, guidance, and be a, a, what is called an attachment figure, a safe attachment figure, then that's especially true when we go through very difficult things. There's another study that's fascinating that talked about how when Germany was attacking England in World War II, there were a group of people, groups of people who sent their kids to live in the more rural areas, off with like other people, like just in different communities, And in hopes that that would take them out of the terror of war, when London was getting under attack, getting bombed, the parents would send the kids away in hopes of creating safety for them. There were other families who kept their family together, even in the midst of a war. And what they found after they did some studies and research afterwards, that the people who were separated from their parents had greater degrees of emotional impact higher degrees of depression and anxiety and this was directly tied to how important having safe significant people are in your life especially in moments of distress and so there's I could could continue to share with you the the different studies and research that supports how critical these safe figures are in our life. And I think if you reflect on your own personal experience, many of you will recognize as well that when you feel secure in your relationship, your whole experience in life is different. There's a degree of safety, a degree of confidence, an ability to solve problems. We feel more at ease. We're more flexible in terms of being able to respond to difficult situations. We're more creative. We have more peace. Life is just overall so much better when our relationships are better. And that does not mean that you're codependent because again, the opposite of that is true. When we're in a distressed relationship, so many aspects of our life are negatively affected. There's just a pervasive sense of anxiety. There can be hypervigilance. You know, if we link this to the situations of many of you in in the, who are listening, if there's been addiction and trauma in the relationship and there is no safety, there isn't trust, there isn't that security, there's broken attachment, you know how bad that feels. You know that there's depression and fear, anxiety, hypervigilance, worry, preoccupation. All of the symptoms, so many of the symptoms from PTSD, mirror the experience of somebody who's going through something that you're going through right now, if there's addiction and trauma in your relationship. So what do we do with all this? Knowing this is critical because instead of fighting against the grain and trying to talk yourself out of feeling bad uh, in a relationship where there's trauma, where there's pain, or there's a lack of trust, instead of trying to talk yourself out of feeling bad and saying, well, you shouldn't feel this bad. There's something wrong with you if you're affected in this way. You shouldn't need your spouse to the degree that you feel like you do. The reality is that's just not true. That's just not true. And I think if you reflect on your own experience, you'll know that that's true for yourself too. And knowing that that is going, if we're going to go with the grain, which is nurturing our most important relationships, which is building safe attachments and connections with our partner, you just, you, you can feel the difference in your life when you have that and when you don't. And so I'm such a huge proponent of, instead of people doing this process separately and leaving the other person in the dark. And now that's different than individual work. Of course you can do individual work and I think there's definitely a place for that. I think though that so often in the traditional ways of doing this work, he does his work, she does her work and they do not communicate about what's going on. They do not build a bridge to restoring the connection and the relationship, I just think that that's a mistake. And as I've worked with people who have struggled for a long, long time, when they ultimately start to work with me and they come to me and say, we've been doing recovery work for two, three, four years, we're better individually, but our relationship is still like, we have not made any progress together. And so instead of feeling bad about wanting to connect with your partner, it's it's so helpful to recognize that that is an innate natural and such a healthy need it's a longing that's been placed inside of you by design because nature knows again we're we're social beings we're social creatures we don't survive when we're like individuals out in the world like uh let me more specifically describe this we have such a harder time surviving. If you think about like our, you know, early ancestors traveling in groups and tribes, because if you were by yourself, you're not gonna make it. You need to have a community to support you. You work together. You can navigate situations in life so much more effectively when you have a group of people in your corner. And so nature knows this. So you've been endowed with this longing to help support you and ultimately help you be successful in life. So we wanna honor that innate need instead of putting a lid on it. And so this is the work that I think is so critical for couples, is number one, understanding all of this and recognizing there's nothing wrong with you for being negatively affected by disconnection in your relationship. So instead of disowning that, we instead wanna lean into that and learn how to work with that in a much more effective way Then maybe currently how, you know, the arrangement is in your relationship. And so what does that look like? Well, before I get into that, one last thing that I wanna share, how this relates to self-esteem. So John Bowlby, going back to that researcher, he talks about there's three different areas in which attachment affects an individual. The first area is how you see yourself. The second area is how you see other people and the world and the third area is your ability to emotionally regulate. And so he says that one of the biggest impacts for better or worse, if you have a strong healthy relationship with your early attachment, you know, your caretaker, your parents, it directly affects your self-esteem whether positively or negatively. So if you're if you're a baby and you express your need and you cry and you're reaching for your your parent And your caretaker responds, if that signal, you send out a signal of I need help, I need food, I need a a change, I need sleep, or I need soothing, and your caretaker responds to that and it goes well, then as you grow up, you start to see yourself as good, you see yourself as loved, you see yourself as having worth, you see other people as safe, people that you can count on, people that you can trust, the world is safe. And again, I'm speaking in broad terms, because of course there's danger in the world, but generally it's like, I can navigate the world. I can trust other people. And of course there are people who are not trustworthy, but the idea is there's an openness to that. And the benefit of having a parent or a caretaker regulate how you feel, because children can't regulate their own emotions. I think until about age three, when they start to develop that skill, but it's a development with the help of a parent. And so children, the the key to survival is learning how to reach to somebody else. Because again, if a baby reaches and cries and sends a signal to a caretaker that I need help, I need attention, if there's nobody to respond there, eventually that infant is not gonna make it. And so again, by design, there's this attachment system within us that when somebody important to us sends out a signal of distress or a need for care, innately, the parent wants to respond it's wired in and that does not go away from parent to child. That is still a system that's within us between our romantic relationships as well. And so children, they don't learn the ability. So in early childhood, infants and toddlers primarily rely on their caregivers to regulate their emotions because they're not able to regulate how they feel on their own yet. It's not until age about two or three that children begin to develop the basic Emotional regulation strategies like distracting, like using distraction or seeking comfort from a caregiver. However, it's not even until later on in childhood or adolescence that kids develop more sophisticated strategies for regulating their emotions. So, some studies show that by age six or seven, most children can effectively use verbal and nonverbal strategies to regulate their emotions, such as like deep breathing, counting to 10, thinking positive thoughts, and turning to caregivers. And that ability continues to gradually mature and develop over time so that they can reach other, other people in a, in a clearer way. And so knowing that this is how we work as people, children learn how to soothe themselves through the experiences that they have with their caregiver. This is oftentimes where addictions can develop for people in early, early adolescence or some negative coping strategy. If they don't have somebody to help regulate how they feel, the child will ultimately either learn to disown how they feel, disconnect from it, detach from their emotions, or when they start to get exposed to things, like again, the early exposure, uh, the the average age of exposure to pornography is between nine and 11 now. So if that nine-year-old little boy doesn't have people in his life who do tend to his emotions and help regulate how he feels and reassure him, and help build his confidence and self-esteem that he's not alone and somehow he's introduced to pornography, that very quickly can become a way that he distracts himself because feeling the weight of pain and being alone is so overwhelming for people and without significant other people in your life to turn to and you feel like you're on your own, now the pain is even more amplified whenever there's an escape or a strategy that somebody can use to get out of pain the brain's gonna learn okay, this is at least how I can survive. And that might seem like a strange word to say when we're talking about this, but ultimately it's pain. The brain's trying to get out of pain because pain and too much pain ultimately leads to suffering, which can ultimately lead to, if there's too much pain, too much suffering, we break down. So all of this is to be said again, the way that the way that attachment influences our life is profound. Like I cannot underscore how important this is. And so what do we do with this now? So I wanted to give you this background just so you can better understand how all of this works so that you can start to leverage this in your relationship. This podcast, I give you as many strategies as I can in, you know, over the course of these episodes to help you understand how to connect with your spouse, with your partner, with the people who are close to you because that is going to be your biggest advantage when it comes to regulating how you feel when it comes to helping you work through issues, it helps with our confidence and self-esteem, decreases depression and anxiety, so many of the things that we've talked about already today in the podcast. Your ability to learn how to work with this innate longing is going to predict so many positive, like all these things that we've just said in the podcast, like it will predict physical, emotional, mental health, in such a profound way. And so such a big part of my mission is helping people understand that this is, after having done so much research that's out there, decades and decades of research, and now we have brain scans, which are phenomenally helpful. So we can actually train, attract neurologically what's happening. Then we've done studies with attachment and our neurology, and it supports the same thing that people have been saying for decades, how critical it is for our mental health, our physical health, our emotional health. And so how we leverage this is we number one, recognize that this is a need that we have and that's okay. And not only is it okay, but it's important that we get this need met and we then develop skills to connect with our partner or spouse in a way that helps us to feel comforted when we're in pain. So if I were to consolidate all of this, again, you can go back and listen to any, you know, so many of these episodes are, are, are uh, have a, a slant, at least for some of the relationship. I know I talk about individual things and the relationship things. I think so, so much of this overlaps. And so I like to talk about all of this. But ultimately, in order to access and leverage this attachment system, if I were to boil this down to the most simple, plain language, it's being able to coordinate comfort when you're in pain. So in other words, if you send a signal to your spouse, I'm scared or I'm sad and I'm alone and I need you to come close to me and just be with me. When couples know how to basically send that clear message, I'm hurting, I need you, or I'm scared, I need reassurance, I need comfort. Those are the couples that become most successful at navigating the challenges of marriage and especially the challenges of addiction and trauma. I did an episode a few episodes back, the number one difference between healthy and unhealthy couples. It's not that they go into, you know, they get stuck. I was at a conference uh, just uh, recently and the presenter said, okay, imagine we're in Las Vegas cause he flew in, so I'm in Vegas and uh, I live here. And he flies in, he's, he's presenting to all us. He's like, imagine being at a conference, uh, I'm sorry. Imagine being at a, a casino they are just hanging out at dinner and then all of a sudden the table next to you erupts this massive fight between a husband and wife and they're screaming at each other and they, they storm out and they go in separate directions. And he says, now, what does that tell you about their relationship, the health of their relationship? And everybody listening like, well, it's not good. They're having these blowout fights, especially in public. Well, that's not good. He's like, yes, you'd think that. But the reality is it actually tells you very little about the health of their relationship, the biggest indicator of the health of a relationship, and this is supported by the researcher, John Gottman. He says the biggest indicator is their ability to repair. Can they come back? Can they create a secure connection and repair the damage? Because if you can, then you win. If you can't, then you struggle. And so knowing that this is an inborn, innate desire for us to find homeostasis, connection, safety, peace in our relationship. It's when we're in pain, can you clearly send a signal to your spouse, your partner, that you need them and will they respond to you? And so an alternative way of looking at, you know, we talked about codependency earlier. The alternative way that I like much, much more is helping people recognize the difference between effective and ineffective dependency. So there, is, so if you can effectively depend, there's like this interdependence. I think it's another word you can use. If there's an interdependence, effective dependency, you're able to reach, the other person can respond, And there is that connection that's built as a result of that. If you do not have, if you're not able to do that, and it's ineffective dependence, that's where I think these negative cycles get stuck where people get, you know, they trigger each other. There's fight or flight. There are these fights and arguments and shutdowns and avoidance. Like that's this ineffective dependency because they're not able to reach for the other person in a clear way that elicits a positive, comforting, reassuring response. So much of the work that I do when I'm having sessions with couples is helping them untangle the negative cycles that get in the way of that. So often we protect. It's fight or flight. We get angry. When we're hurt, sad turns to mad. And then the mad is interpreted by the other person as, "Uh uh-oh, I've failed. My spouse is upset with me. I've disappointed them. Maybe it, it can very, very easily be reminiscent of the feelings that they had when they were younger of like, I just feel unworthy now. All the shame can come up. They feel like they're going to lose their spouse. It freaks them out. So they shut down. They go into flight. And when couples don't know how to get out of that fight or flight cycle, they struggle for years because they're not leveraging the most important system, the attachment system, and learning how to turn to each other in a vulnerable way to reach for comfort and reassurance and safety when they're struggling the most. And so if we were to summarize all of what we're talking about today, I wanted to share with you, I know this is maybe more of a, like a research heavy episode, but it's so important to recognize for me anyways, like this this, this type of material that I'm talking to you guys about over the, you know, in the podcast, and especially this particular episode, literally changed my career. Because once I understood how we work as people, and there's an actual way to train and help couples not only identify their negative cycles, but create new ones where they can reach for each other and work through blocks, overcome shame, learn how to connect with each other in a a different way, It's unbelievable how quickly people can heal when we have these experiences. Again, when I work with couples, I do it in a very condensed way because this is the core of what I focus on, is helping people leverage the system. And so I've got a 12-week process and when I do this, and sometimes it's like, it's amazing to see after four, five, six sessions sometimes, people are in a completely different place because they just like plug into this process of learning how to reach. The other person is learning how to respond in a way that provides comfort. And so quickly a relationship can stabilize. And so I share that with you because I want to give you the confidence and hope that you can have the same thing by simply plugging into the same process. And so as you do, you'll notice how quickly your relationship changes, how quickly you feel different because you're able to navigate the hardships of life and especially the hardships of addiction and trauma and the impact that has on a relationship and the trust. When you start to build that by plugging into this attachment system, it's like, it's truly remarkable how relationships can change and heal. And you can really leave the past behind you with closure. And again, not even talking like sweeping it under the rug and moving on. It's like, you process, resolve, find closure, and truly just leave this behind you. So I hope this provides some level of hope that this system is there on purpose, by design, because this is one of our strongest resources as people. All we wanna do is just learn how to leverage this and send these clear signals of, I'm hurting, I need you, and have the other person to come close and respond to those needs that we have on the emotional level, because that builds a bridge, not only between husband and wife or in, you know in partners in the relationship, but then it also becomes a resource for us as individuals to become stronger too. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that you guys take this and can start to build those bridges by reaching for each other. And again, uh, this is not so much a, a how-to episode. This is more like, this is the process, this is the way. Other episodes talk about how to do that. And I'll continue to do that on future episodes because I just think that's such an important part of this is recognizing, okay, what are the steps now? But I felt like this was important. I was thinking about this today in particular, how critical this understanding is. So you can start to leverage this and have the kind of relationship that you're hoping for. So I look forward to speaking with you guys next week and hope that you can start to implement some of this stuff as we go. And so you can start to see the changes that are possible just when you get some of this in place. All right, I will talk to you guys soon and uh, we'll see you next week. Take care. If you're a man looking to put this addiction behind you for good, then I want to invite you to join my free private Facebook community, Just For Men. Inside the group, I'll be doing weekly live trainings, Q&A sessions, offering tools, guidance, and help as well as it being a place where you can connect with other like-minded individuals working towards the exact same goal. You don't have to do this alone anymore, and I hope to see you inside.